Hello, and welcome back to The Near Futurist, the podcast I've been running for almost five years now. We cover both the business and consumer worlds, and as always, I'll welcome feedback and input on the LinkedIn page. Just search for Guy Clapperton and Near Futurist, and you'll find it. Before I introduce this month's guest, though, here's a word from my sponsor. clients want to sound as confident, clear, and fluent in media interviews as the people in this podcast? Of course you do. My team and I can help. Drop my assistant, Lindsay, that's lindsay at clapperton.co.uk, a note, and she'll set us a time for an initial chat. Or go to the website at clapperton.co.uk, two Ps, to find out more. Now, back to the podcast. Okay, it wasn't really a sponsor, it was me banging on about my media training operation, so there's quite enough of that. Now, I learned to drive in the 1980s, and yes, it was mostly in black and white, I've heard them all before. But I took a car maintenance course, and it was all pretty straightforward. Everything was mechanical, and automatics were pretty modern. I remember I got quite excited when my second car was advanced enough to have a clock in it. I was a bit of a pillock then, as you'll gather. But things have changed dramatically by now, and so have cars. A new car will have sat-nav as standard, digital radio, climate control, and a lot more, just as ordinary stuff. Today, I have two guests, the first of whom has a distinguished academic track record, most recently in graduating from MIT's Flown School Management with an executive MBA. I understand that's a very recent, so many congratulations to her for that. With over 20 years of experience in the semiconductor industry, she is the vice president of the Automotive Cabin Experience, ACE, business unit of Analog Devices, or ADI. Her name is Yasmin King. Yasmin, welcome. Hi, Guy. Thank you for having me today. I'm very excited to join your podcast. You're more than welcome, and thank you again. But uh, let's start with the basics. Uh, cards already do loads for us, and uh, you know, looking ahead into the near future, what's left? Well, cars are really transforming from what we used to think of them as a single-use tool to more a multi-use tool. They're no longer purely transportation from one location to another. Now, when you walk up to your car, you want your car to know you, know what you like within the features of the vehicle. You can immerse yourself into entertainment. And eventually, we're hoping that cars will be able to drive completely for us. In some parts of the world, we're actually seeing that cars are being used as a mobile office. What's happened since COVID is that you know we people are more working from home. Maybe they don't have as much space as they'd like to. So an alternate that they found is they end up going to their vehicle and they'll drive, say, their kids to school. They'll stay in the parking lot. They'll work from their car for the whole day. So that means that there's more technology that needs to be integrated into the vehicle. Things like video conferencing, high quality audio, those are all becoming more standard features that we're expecting our cars to deliver for us. So instead of being a, a, a tool, it's more of a, a partnership with our car and how they can help us throughout our day. That's really interesting. I mean, there's a quality of life issue and all sorts of things about posture, if you consider working from your car in any great, great extent. But I know your um, specialism is in um, uh, technology rather than in, uh, in supportive uh, uh, seating. So I'll perhaps ask somebody else about that. But something you say interests me, um, the notes your representatives sent over, for example, uh, for which my thanks, said that noise reduction is a major thing for modern cars. Um, tell us something about that. So background noise is a hugely fatiguing factor for drivers and for passengers. And we've we've seen that it affects drivers' moods, it can affect how they're driving the vehicle. And so it's very important that we make the interior of the car 
as comfortable for a driver to support a safe driving experience. So one of the things that we do is we work with car manufacturers to dramatically reduce the noise within the cabin. And one way to do this, in addition to some of the mechanical things you talked about with the seating and you know insulation around the, around the doors, you can actually listen to the noise and use microphones to listen to the noise that's happening inside of the car and then create the exact opposite of that noise. So by the time that you add the two together, it basically cancels out. And so it creates a very quiet cabin and you're using cool things like inverted sound waves to do this. And that requires things like microphones, uh, processing, but it, the advantage is it can be applied to all different types of noise, engine noise, rumble from the road. Ultimately, it helps maintain driver concentration and means that you don't have to turn up your music or turn up your podcast as loud as you had to before, and it will help create a more relaxing environment. Well, that's interesting. It sounds a bit like the sort of technology that people use to mask tinnitus, uh, the hearing condition, uh, but uh, perhaps applied to different sounds. That, that's really very interesting. And you say there are going to be more microphones in cars. Are, are we talking about uh, just to mask out the noise or are we talking about voice control? Or what else are they going to do? It's all of the above that you just mentioned. So one of the key factors when people are buying a new car is how does it feel inside of the cabin? And that audio experience is a key piece of, of the comfort and just the environment of what they feel inside of the car. So if you can make the car easier to use, and one of the ways to do that is by using voice commands instead of having to push buttons, that allows for a, a more relaxing and safe driving experience. The good news is that we've all gotten used to this. We're all shouting at our phones or machines at home saying, hey, Siri or Alexa. And so we're, we're comfortable with that environment of using our voice to command things around us. The car is moving in that same direction. The advantage is that the driver can now be focused on the road, not trying to flip between podcasts or, or manually answer calls. I'm sure we've all rented a car or been put into a car that we're not familiar with. And we felt that frustration of, gosh, how do I turn the AC on? How do I get the, the temperature to the right the right way that I want it? Can I flip the station because I don't like this song? And it can be frustrating when you're driving if you don't know how to operate the vehicle and, and use the, the display features in front of you. So that's one aspect. But we talked a lot about the noise cancellation previously. The uh, There's some other pretty cool technologies where you're configuring microphones and audio sensors using things like beamforming to figure out where a command is coming from. So if it's coming from the driver, if it's coming from a passenger, and that way you can actually control different parts of the car. If I'm in the passenger seat and I want to turn my, or put my window down, I could just say, hey, I'm getting hot, put my window down. And I don't, you don't want to turn on the uh, AC for the driver as a result. So there's a, a very high mix of technology that's based upon microphones within the vehicle that's helping build this full suite of environment. Okay, let's say I get a bad driver near me and they do something stupid. It happens. If I shout, let's call it a friendly greeting, like I say, old chap, I don't think you meant to do that. Or maybe a little bit less polite. I'm sure you have uh, international equivalents in America. It's quite possible that the last thing I want is someone able to record that or upload it to somewhere or whatever. How do I know the microphones aren't going to do that? <laughs> it's a good question. And I feel you on that for having to sometimes talk to the drivers around you. So there's a, there's a combination of approaches around this. First, we do have the ability to use wake-up words. 
And that means that the car is not going to turn on, is not going to be listening necessarily until they hear that wake up word. And it's this very same thing that we have with our phones, the phone assistant features. So as we progress more to spoken language, natural spoken language, we can still accomplish a responsive system without having to record your voice or having to upload what you've stated to the cloud. We can do all of that processing within the vehicle, meaning your information isn't stored anywhere permanently. I'm sure you have privacy covered, um, and, and you've just assured us there's no upload to, to the cloud, but people are always concerned about privacy. Uh, what assurances can you give them about anything that might be picked up by a microphone? Anything that the car picks up with a microphone is going to stay within the vehicle. And so when you look at the architecture of the vehicle, know that quality and safety is always top of mind within the automotive industry. And so it's very important to us to make sure that we are keeping a lockdown on anything that's stored within the vehicle, and there isn't anything that's stayed, staying there permanently. Interesting, though. Why do we want voice-controlled cars? I can understand the feeling that it's a luxury thing, but in my experience, if a gadget can go wrong, it will go wrong, and this is another gadget built on built in. I mean, I know. I drive a Renault. So does this affect the amount of maintenance of a, uh, in a car? Does this affect the reliability? No, it's a fair question. I understand where you're coming from on this. There's no other method that you can interact with your car as simply as your voice. With using your voice, you can keep your hands on the wheel. You can keep your eyes on the road. It's so much easier and less stressful. However, it's worth saying that as we increase in computing power going into vehicles, it's not just about voice control. When we look at cars today, the, the high-end car is approaching one of the most complex pieces of hardware and software you can have in the world. New cars are packed full of chips, which power everything from electrification to advanced driver assistance systems to safety and beyond. Increasing sensing technologies relating to this becomes more of a reality, especially with autonomous driving. So that requires more cameras, distance detection, et cetera. And, and as the car has increasing software, there's an increasing over-the-air update required. And that's to secure the latest technology without having to visit the mechanic or visit the garage or service center. So your car is becoming a companion to help make your travel easier and less stressful. And keeping reliability top of mind is always first and foremost. That makes a lot of sense. Um, the other thing about extra electrics, though, and extra functions is uh, they may drain the battery a little. I mean, should we be consuming less fuel rather than more? What, what are the power consumption implications here? The sensing and audio technologies that we're working on are focused on taking wires out of the car. So one of the biggest impacts of fuel efficiency or battery range is how much the car weighs. And as you add in more microphones or more speakers, more displays, inherently the assumption is that there'll be more wires and that will bring the weight up and the fuel efficiency down. So when we look at designing technologies, it's all about how do you make sure that the energy consumption and physical weight of the vehicle are top of mind. This will help us create sustainable transportation. And so car makers now are looking at new architectures that will be based off of physical zones within the vehicle that allow for distributing sensing data, processing data, and ultimately reducing wirings. It's, it's a complete rethink of how the infrastructure of a vehicle is designed with the goal of helping improve fuel efficiency and improve battery range. Okay, finally, uh, where can listeners find out more about you and, of course, about ADI? 
Well, you can always check us out at analog.com. We would love to interact with you and, and hear more of your thoughts. And for me personally, you can always find me on LinkedIn at Yasmin King. Yasmin King of ADI, thank you very much. Thank you, Guy. It was a pleasure to talk to you. But we're not stopping there. I have a second guest this episode, still on the topic of cars. This time I'm going to have a little chat about payments from cars. How do you pay for stuff? Toll charges, uh, purchases by the side of the road, and increasingly in future, we're going to have to be looking at charging cars. So let's talk about in-car payments, or just beside the car payments, if you have a flat tire or whatever. My guest is the head of the fintech division at Star, which is a global team of product creators helping car manufacturers and financial services company to digitally transform. And his name is Olivier Bessie. Olivier, welcome. Thank you, Guy. Good to, good to be here. Excellent. Now, look, this is nothing new. We've been paying for things from our cars for ages. What's changed? What exactly is the issue that you're trying to solve? Well, well, essentially, I think, uh, as you said, it's um, to to a large extent, it's a continu- continuation of trends that we've um, we've seen in the past. But what we've seen recently is um, essentially a couple uh, a couple of things. First, you have new uh, new use cases that uh, that come into play that make in-car payments more relevant. Um, you know, see, uh, EV charging um, is very much at the forefront of that. Uh, that's something that you see you didn't have so uh, a lot of. A few years ago, and it's a very valid, if you like, and a very um, uh, conductive uh, use case for uh, for in-car payments. And add to that things like, for example, uh, in-car entertainment. Uh, as you know, you may you may be waiting for for quite a while uh, for your EV to be charged uh, while on the road. Uh, there's, uh, if you like, an, an additional uh, use case for essentially consuming more entertainment in car, for example. Uh, the second trend uh, is essentially Essentially, more uh, more fintech one, uh, and essentially, it's the fact that you have a multitude of new players uh, and new functionalities that make it a lot easier to consume financial services like, uh, for example, card payments, and to integrate them into uh, existing applications and existing solutions. I suppose thinking about it logically, near where I live, we've uh, just beside one of the stations, we uh, train stations, we've now got uh, one of those Amazon stores where you can just go in and uh, pick up your groceries, walk, scan your phone, walk out, and you've paid automatically. So, you know, why can't you do similar things with cars? I suppose this is the way we're uh, heading. So that's one example of how other people do things not with cars. How do you do it? Talk us through how the mechanism actually works in your case. So, so essentially, I think, um, I'd say uh, in-car payments would be within, I would say, a broader uh, ecosystem of um, payments in the mobility space. So I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't just consider, if you like, in-car payments. Uh, but um, the, the typical use case would be that, for example, you would end up if we take the uh, EV charging, which is a, is a brand new and um, probably a very compelling uh, use case. Uh, you would arrive uh, at the Android charging station. The, your car, if you like, would be uh, would be recognised uh, as being, if you like, an authorised car to um, to use the um, the charging station. Um, you would have a, a means of payments attached to your car. So it could be, for example, an external card. It could be a card that's been issued by your um, your card manufacturer. Uh, and um, when you have finished the um, the charge. Uh, 
of the car, uh, then uh, that uh, that means of payment will be um, will be debited. So in, in uh, like a nutshell, that's the 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 ideal goal is to uh, to go to that point to that essentially seamless interaction where your car is recognized automatically. Um, your uh, at the click of a button um, on your dashboard going to be able to uh, authorize the payment. You know, with some sort of security in place, of course, whether it's um, fingerprints or uh, others. Uh, I was just going to say the way the way you described it until that point. Uh, basically, if somebody stole the car, they've stolen my wallet as well. So. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, you thought of that. I, mean, I think clearly, clearly the authentication. I think there's multiple ways to do this. I mean, it could be could be face ID, it could be fingerprints, could be uh, could be voice potentially. But yes, you need to have some strong uh, some strong recognition um, recognition of the individual. All this works through technology, of course. I'm, I'm mentioned already that you work alongside the car industry. Are there standards out there already, or is it all proprietary? I mean, I drive a Renault, for example. Would I have a problem if I switch to a Nissan or a Fiat? So, so essentially, the industry is recognizing that it's a, um, a a very topical subject, and that they uh, they need to invest more. I think it's a it's a long process. Obviously, it's an industry that's been around for a long while and has uh, like the um, certainly habits uh, of uh, of uh, in terms of the way they work, and they're they're very much obviously focused on the uh, the technology and the the manufacturing side of things. I would say by um, uh, by a historical uh, precedent, almost. So I think it's also a new, uh, a new way of thinking. But there's definitely a recognition that they need to to do more uh, in the uh, in the car payment space. They're taking different, like different approaches to uh, to that that initiative. But there's definitely a strong uh, a strong recognition, and there's also a strong recognition that they need to establish standards. So in particular, um, there's there's um, a group, for example, uh, called Covisa, which is uh, about essentially establishing those technical standards to exchange data and information, including in the car payment space, in a, I would say, non, um, non-competitive space. The big problem, though, is there's a massive installed base out there that doesn't have access to this. My car certainly doesn't. I don't imagine many cars on the road at the moment actually do. Is retrofitting a thing you can cope with? How do you, how do you cope with the installed base of cars? Uh, yes, I mean I think that's that's clearly uh, an important point because there's um, in a lot of cases there's going to be a, um, a physical component to the uh, to the in-car payment. So there would need to be essentially a chip in the car that's going to uh, to enable you to to manage those uh, those car payments. It's likely um, rather than retrofit, what you'd see is you'd see a slow growth of uh, of in-car payments as uh, if you like as new cars um, are. Are, um, uh, like rolled out into uh, into the market as opposed to ne- necessarily a retrofit. I think you will have some some element of uh, retrofitting when you have, for example, already the kind of the RFID chip, for example, uh, in the car, and it's a question of doing a, a software upgrade almost. But I think in the in the broader use cases and for the vast majority of cars, I think it's likely that um, uh, it's going to be purely uh, based on, I guess, you know, replacement of the existing. Uh, existing car base. Okay, and uh, where do you see this industry going in, within the next five years or so? 
So I, I think there's um, there's various views on the, uh, the the growth. Certainly, we expect a, a strong growth uh, in the, the in car payment space um, uh, compared to where it is now. That being said, I think we we must say it's still in its infancy. So it's still a fairly small area in terms of the volume of payments. We're talking about a, you know current year, I think a few about three billions uh, for uh, for in car payments globally, which is you know fairly fairly small when you when you think of the uh, um, uh, the, the trillions of payments which are uh, which are being made obviously outside of the car. Uh, so, so I think we still need to validate uh, a lot of the hypotheses which are um, which are being made. Yes, we're going to see you know easily double digit growth per year uh, in the uh, in the coming year. But um, a lot of the the hypotheses that we are, that are being made at the moment need to be uh, tested uh, over the next uh, the next few years. So we, we are not sure yet what will be the um, the, the, the killer app, if you like, in the uh, in the in-car payment space, we, we we can assume, for example, it's EV charging, but that needs to be validated. Yes, if uh, the technology industry has shown us one thing, then it's uh, the fact that five years from now things will not look exactly as you'd expected them to. But uh, we've got time to find out about that, I'm sure. Final question, if I may: um, Where can we find out more about you and about Star? Um, thank you, thank you, guys. So essentially, um, the Star is a consultancy company. Um, as you mentioned, we're very much focused on uh, product innovation. Uh, that's been our mainstay since we were founded in uh, 2008 in the, in the Silicon Valley. So we're very keen on working with you know, with startups, with scale-ups, and also with uh, more uh, more mature um, uh, companies. But with the uh, the approach, if you like, of focusing on uh, product innovation, on essentially helping. Um, design uh, new products, both in terms of the service offering as well as the visual aspects, and then finally build and uh, and deliver those products. Uh, we've realized as well that uh, you can't be a product expert in all areas, and we have to focus on some core industries. Uh, so in particular, I'm obviously looking after uh, fintech. Uh, we're very strong, as you mentioned, also in the, the automotive space, uh, as well as advertising and um, health tech, um, and um, really. We work with, you know, I would say both companies, both small uh, and large. So from the large uh, automakers to small, uh, small startups, for example, in the um, uh, financial industry, uh, fintech space, or uh, or the mobility space. Uh, so, so very much we, we like to be kind of that um, that glue uh, between um, different members, if you like, of the um, the ecosystem uh, and bring uh, innovative solutions to the market. I was kind of hoping you'd give me a website so people could get in touch. Oh, of course, yes. And so uh, we are, <laughs> we are, our um, URL is um, uh, star, uh, Startup Global, or you can, uh, you can search Startup Global. Olivier Bessie, thank you very much for coming. Thank you, Guy. And thank you for listening. This has been The Near Futurist, a Clapperton Media production, and I've been Guy Clapperton. See you in a month. Mm-hmm.